Well, uh, I'm not Pastor Zeke. If uh, you're visiting us this morning, make sure to come back next week when he's back. Right? Well, yeah, where we get our real pastor back. Um, you know, there is a, a thing, and we do want to say a quick prayer uh, for our brothers uh, and sisters who are going to church a little north of here, right? There's a lot going on right now uh, in the world. We did say if, any, um, if anyone shows up today to arrest anyone, they can just take Ron, our usher. <laughs> just kidding. We're just going to say, the pastor's not here. You'll have to come back on Tuesday when he's here. No, but, uh, but seriously, uh, they all know what they're in for. Everyone knows. We all know. And, uh, and I think we've all said we're willing to do this. We, we really want to be here, and we're grateful that whoever comes, comes. And, and we just kind of, I know Pastor Zeke said it a couple weeks ago, that, uh, that on Sundays we're just going to open the gates and we're going to unlock the doors. And whoever comes, comes. And um, I, I really believe it, it. You know, I think maybe we had thought persecution would just come so abruptly and so uh, just, okay, make a stand right now, Jesus or no Jesus. And, and it's really been a, a, a sleepy kind, a, a subtle kind of just slowly not meeting at church and slowly fading away. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that anything's necessarily happening tomorrow, but I'm not saying it's not either. We just want to be ready right? Uh, Pastor Zeke isn't here. If any of you know what he went and did this week, uh, one, of the, one of the late first service folks, she used to sit right around here. Uh, uh, Barbara moved to Wyoming, and uh, she had called the church and said, is anyone willing, do you think anyone at the church would be willing to drive a moving truck uh, for me? And before Zeke could ever ask anybody, Jacob and I volunteered. I mean, we were like, we'll take a few days you know, road trip, throw our golf clubs in the moving truck and golf on the way home. Uh, Jacob and I were all for it. We just want to serve God's people, you know. And, uh, and then what happened was, was Pastor Zeke just said, you know, I could probably use a few days. And, and we kind of peeked in the office. We're like, man, you're taking our trip right from underneath us. Um, so he did that. So now when everyone's ready to move from California, you know who to call. Uh, but anyway, so he was gone, so he didn't have time to study this week, is what was going on. He was, he was logging, you know, uh, you know, six, eight hours a day on the road, so, uh, so he wasn't going to have time to study, so he just said, why don't, why don't you guys handle things? Uh, he's visiting a church in uh, Banning or Beaumont this morning, just hanging out with those guys, um, and so Thomas and I always joke, it's like, well, inmates are running the asylum today. So we'll, uh, we'll enjoy that. So that takes us to 2 Corinthians. Uh, whenever Pastor Zeke's out, uh, Pastor Gary started this probably three and a half, four years ago now that we started the book of 1 Corinthians. So we always just pick up where we left off. Um, last time we were in Corinthians was probably sometime in March. So, um, so let's do this. Let's, let's just say a, a quick prayer for uh, those guys up north. Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters up north right now. Lord, those in Ventura, uh, those in LA, those who are meeting Today, knowing that there are, um, you know, they're defying, Lord, the, the government here. And, uh, Lord, we really believe that's what you called us to do. And so come what may, Lord, we, we want to be willing um, to be bold in our God, to teach, Lord, we want, um, we want people to know about you. We want people to come to a, a saving knowledge of you. Lord, we want your people to be sanctified. And God, that comes from week in, week out, 
sitting under your teaching. And so, Lord, we pray for those men and women, uh, whether it's fines, whether it's arrests, whatever it is, just be their God today, Lord. Be with them and uh, set a hedge of protection about them. Uh, We pray for our pastor right now that you'd give him rest. Thank you for this week for him where he could just kind of relax a little. Lord, breathe a little bit. We pray for ourselves, God, that you would just speak to us this morning. Uh, We think of that old prayer that you would make the book live to us this morning. That you would show us yourself through your word. That you would show us ourselves and show us our Savior and make the book live to us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11 is where we are. Now, we don't have a lot of time to go through a lot of the background, but if you were with us last time, chapter 10 began this place in 2 Corinthians where Paul has to now go on the defense to defend his apostleship. If you remember the church at Corinth, they were a worldly bunch. They really liked a good speaker. They really liked to look down on people. They really liked to flaunt the gifts that they had. Um, And so he gets to this place of defending his apostleship. And at the end of chapter 10 and verse 17, that famous verse, he says, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What was happening is there was a group of they're calling themselves apostles who had come to Corinth. They came in after Paul had taught there. Uh, they, were, they were these uh, most eminent apostles. We'll see that word show up. And, and the, the meaning of that really, and, and there's a lot of sarcasm in this chapter. Uh, it's one of my, well, you know, it's, it's close to home. Some have told me at times I could be sarcastic. I don't know, but uh, I've been told so, so when I see what Paul's writing, I, I do appreciate the way he's writing this. But these other apostles came in, and so Paul calls them these most eminent apostles, which a translation would be these super great apostles. So even that sounds funny right off the bat, that he's making fun of these guys who are coming in, and they're, they're giving more than just the gospel in a bad way, right? They're, they're, they're giving a Jesus plus something more. It's yes, you should be saved. Yes, Jesus forgives you, but you need to now do this. Uh, some of these guys were Judaizers. We've seen that word throughout. If you, we've gone through the book of Acts together, the, these groups that would, would follow Paul to certain places and they would tell the people, that's good what Paul taught you, but there's more. Well, you gotta still obey the law of Moses. You gotta do these things. And, and there was this yoke of bondage that came in. And so uh, if you uh, do, you could just mark it, maybe read it this week, uh, the book of Galatians, those six chapters where Paul writes probably about five years before he writes what we're reading today, where he warned the Galatians, he goes, you've begun in the spirit. Don't go be made perfect in the flesh. And so that's kind of the backdrop of what we're going to talk about today. And so we'll read uh, the goals to do the whole chapter, but we'll see. I think we can Uh, but we'll just go kind of, we'll break it up parts at a time. We usually read the whole thing. It's kind of too long to read all in one one part. So we'll just read verses one through four to start, and we'll talk about that. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, 
that I might present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you did not receive, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. So Paul starts out, and I'm reminded uh, early on in 1 Corinthians. If you remember in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul has that real famous line. He says, though you might have 10,000 instructors, you haven't many fathers. He says, I have, I have begotten you through the gospel. What the church in Corinth knew of Jesus Christ was because of Paul's ministry. That he came in there, he taught them. They, after that, go, well, I think we've learned more now. I think we know a little bit better than this. I think we could, you know, and they can. And so Paul comes back and he says, look, you might have all these people who have taught you And this reminds me, almost, we see with Paul a lot with the Corinthians, that father and child relationship. Most fathers have had this moment. Uh, I know I had this moment with my father plenty of times where where you, you know, you learn a few things when you're outside the house. You learn a few things from your friends or some other uh, teachers or or something. I remember coming home sometimes and going, oh, dad, guess what? I learned in, uh, in class today. So this can set the record straight in this household about what uh, we think about this issue. And you see that fatherly remark in verse 1. He says, oh, that you'd bear with me in a little folly. Look, I need you to humor me here, okay? I'm not your dad or anything. I haven't been around the block before. You know, how many parents have said that to their kids, right? Look, I've been your age before. Look, I I get what it's like to be a teenager and think you know everything. And so Paul looks at these guys, he goes, and so he's going to be very sarcastic here in putting himself in this really low place. Now, by the time we get over to like verse 16, he'll he'll jump back in that spot uh, of saying, look, humor me, just early on, humor me and listen to what I have to say. I do know a thing or two. So he goes, would you, would you bear with me in a little folly here? He says, I'm jealous for you with a, with a godly jealousy. Now, some people don't like that word or what it sounds like. We know that a worldly jealousy is, you know, it, it, it's a sin, it's a vice to be jealous of someone, to almost have that rage of wanting something that someone has or wanting it all for yourself in, in, in a selfish way. That's not the godly jealousy he's talking about. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. What is the godly jealousy? If you go back to the Old Testament, when, when Moses writes of God, that he's a jealous God. What does it mean? It means he's passionate about us. It means he cares for us because he knows what's best for us. Kind of like when a, a parent sees their child going in a direction that's not good for them, they go, look, I'm not doing it because, I'm, uh, because I want to compete with you. I know where that road goes. I know that it's not a good spot. If you keep going that way, these are the things that are going to be waiting for you there. And so that's what Paul's talking about right here when he says, I'm jealous of you. Alan Redpath says, not because he's selfish and wants us for himself, but because he knows that upon, uh, because he knows that, upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral 
life. He goes on to say, God's jealousy, therefore, is a concern for the holiness, integrity, purity of ethics, and Christian standards for his people. Because of this, he'll refuse to brook a rival in our affection for him, not because of selfish greed, which wishes us all for his own possession, but simply because he knows that his great purpose for us of purity and holiness of life depends on our personal surrender and submission to his purpose. God is jealous for us. And here Paul in that leadership role says, I've got this jealousy for you. I know what's good for you. And I'm afraid that you're letting too many voices in and speaking to you and pulling your affections away from the Lord. Now, this is easy to see as we've studied through Corinthians because their affections were so often turned inward. What would benefit me? How can I benefit? And, and it's selfishness, and we know where that lands. He says, after this jealousy, look, I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. When Paul came, and I'd like you to turn back, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about the way he came to Corinth. He says, and I, brethren, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 through 5, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, so when Paul says there in, in our text this morning, look, I betrothed you to one. Uh, I came and I just want to present you to Christ spotless. So he reminds them of how he came to them. He goes, what did I teach you? What, what did I tell you? I didn't come like they loved in Corinth to hear these wonderful speeches and let's learn something new. Let's hear this. Let's hear that. He says, no, no, no. What I wanted from you was to know one thing. And he says, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's, that's the plan. Because it's easy to just look at that and go, that's... That's kind of too easy. And so we get into this point where we go, well, let's add to it. Let's add to it a little bit. Let, yeah, it, that's good. We understand. And I think most people would agree. Well, it, well, we'll get to this in a second. But, but when he tells them, this is where salvation comes. And I think we need to be careful. I, uh, it's really easy to put a little more than just Jesus in the gospel when we teach. I get it. I did youth ministry for eight years. And there's this temptation to really preach just like good moral living to youth kids. The last thing that some people would say you should teach youth kids is the grace of God. <laughs> because they might use it as a license to go crazy, right? So people go, yeah, 
teach, and I had parents come, I like that you're teaching my kids the Bible and about grace, but maybe you should like loosen up a little bit on that and teach them a little more of like the consequences of what will happen. So, so if you could like, and I go, a little legalism, you want me to sprinkle that in there? Sorry, you got the wrong guy. Uh, I can't do that. Now, there comes a point, hopefully, that we learn that grace isn't cheap and that we shouldn't take advantage. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But, but he says, I, I came and I just taught you Jesus. Why? Paul didn't teach on, on, on prosperity. Now, there's principles that he talks about when he talks about giving, and we talked about that in the last two chapters before this section, about when we give, and, and, and usually God's response back to us when we give. But that wasn't the main thing Paul was talking about. He says, I came to teach Jesus. Why? Because everyone in the whole wide world has a sin problem. I've seen it in different places. I've gone on missions trips to different places, from, from really wealthy places to real poor places. And, and there's this, sometimes you, you well, well, let's start with, uh, you know, God will help give you a better life and God will help give you food every day if you, if you trust him or you go to another place and God will help with your marriage and God will help. Now, does he help with those things? Of course he does. But, but the main problem is a sin problem that on our best day, we don't have what it takes to earn our way into heaven. That there is no one in the world, and, and how does Isaiah say it? He says that our righteousness, it's, it's like filthy rags before God. That on our best day, we're not good enough. So we need a savior. We see the law of God, and, and I don't appreciate, sometimes now in our culture, there's this desire to, to kind of trash the Old Testament. Oh, you know, that's not what's important. The words in red are what's really important. Uh, it's all important. What we have in our laps right now, it's all important. But, but, but to say, well, you, you know, um, th- we have the law to show us that we're not perfect and that we are in dire need of a Savior. And so that's why when Paul comes before the people, he goes, I don't have time to try to teach you morality. I don't have time to teach you prosperity. I don't have time to teach you all these other things. What you need to know is if you die in your sin, you will go to a real place called hell. And what you need is a savior. Because Jesus came from heaven, perfect. So that when he came and died, his death meant something. And he says, faith in that is what forgives us of our sins. Not being good enough. Not being smart enough like these guys. Not because a lot of people like us. Not because my good outweighs my bad. None of that. We're sinners. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And it's just Jesus. And not one sin is bigger than another. Right? Aren't we told later in the scriptures that that if, if we break one, we're guilty of all of them? Just one sin is enough to cancel us out of heaven. Just what? Why? Because God's perfect. He doesn't allow sin into his presence. Well, that, well, where does that leave us? It leaves us separated from God. And so he says, I will, I will extend the bridge. I will, I will make that way for you to come to me. And it's through faith in my son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did, that you can have the forgiveness of sins and the imputed righteousness from God so that you can come to heaven. And that, guys, is the main thing. And what happens, and we see it here. 
he, he says, I was like, nowhere, it's out on my page. I wasn't turned back. He says, but I fear. I fear lest somehow, just like the serpent deceived Eve, Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He goes, I, I, I'm fearful for you. I'm worried about you. I'm worried that you're perverting this gospel, the simplicity that's there, and making something more of it. And we've seen this all throughout the ages up until the present time. I, I don't know if you spend any time on social media, gee whiz, that, that it's this thing of, you know, be a Christian plus you better be this too. I mean, there are more experts on what the church of Jesus Christ should be doing right now on social media than I've ever seen. You know what the church should be doing right now? Please tell me, what should we be doing? You know what you should really be. You know what you should really be teaching. It's no different from the parents telling me what to teach in the youth group. What we really should, and, I, and again, you know what's going on. I know what's going on. We'll get, we might get into more of that, but we've got to be careful. But he says, I'm fearful that you're going to get caught up in this, and you're going to go running so fast to something and let me tell you guys, when we let the culture start shaping what it means to be a Christian, be careful, it falls like a house of cards. And I'll tell you my frustration, just real quick, that in March and in April and at the beginning of May, everyone's telling the church, the church is supposed to listen to the government, the church is supposed to listen to the government, stay home, save life, the church is supposed to listen to the government, and everyone said that, right? Then something happened towards the end of May, and then the protest started, and no one in, in, in the greater Christianity could find Romans chapter 13. Right? We were all Romans 13, listen to the government, do what they say, stay in your homes, whatever, and, and then when everyone wanted to go out and protest, what did we do? Well, you know, maybe we should. Maybe we should not listen to the government. Maybe we shouldn't listen to them. You know, those guys. Romans 13 was clear as much in January of this year as it is today. And I don't mean to get crazy up here, but it's a little frustrating to me that, that when we let the culture dictate what the church is supposed to do, we deviate from Jesus. Because if we've studied the Bible correctly... We were just as sinful in January of this year as we are today. We're just in, as much in need of a Savior early in the year as we are now later in the year. That hasn't changed. But now we've said, well, this sin is worse this month, this one's worse this month, and now that one's going to be worse next month. God knows what it'll be next month. But it'll probably be something else. And we zigzag, and I feel bad for the churches that, that, that go, you know, okay, we're all in over here, and then the new book comes out, and then they're all over here, and we go this way and that way. And, and I'll tell you right now, as a church, our heart is to be right here and to just walk straight and to not go to the right hand or to the left and to get too far into this or too far into that. It's like we just want to keep teaching what Jesus says about a situation. But he says this in verse 4. He says, For if he comes, if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we haven't preached, or a different spirit which we've not received, or a dis different gospel that you've not accepted, you may well put up with it.
these different teachings that would come in, he says, my fear is that you're going to listen to it. That you're going to go for it. That you're going to say, you know what, that does sound good. You know what, we should, maybe we should. And again, I've, I've seen it. I get the newsletters here. I get the emails here. What your church should really start doing at this point is doing this differently. In the light of what's going on, in the light of world events, we should really think twice about teaching on this, speaking about that, doing this. No, thank you. But the problem is with Paul, and he says this, he goes, you may well put up with it. Why would they put up with it? When we drift from the simplicity that's in Christ, and again, here in the context, he's talking about this drifting towards legalism, adding extra rules on top of the simplicity of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that for our own sanctification, growing in our relationship with the Lord, there, there aren't safeguards we put in our lives, and there aren't areas that God is helping us grow. That's why we tell you every week, I mean, I think, I think we say it pretty much every week, read your Bibles. It is so good for us to read our Bibles personally because the things God's working on my heart right now as I go through the places I go through right now, I'm in the book of Romans and in the book of Psalms. There are certain things God's teaching me. Some people are in the book of Galatians, God's teaching you something. Some pe- and, and so we, we learn individually, but, but like when we... But if there's a different gospel... If there's different things that, are, that, that we're trying to kind of give to the, to the body or that are being fed to us now, be careful. And it starts subtle. Nobody comes out and goes, hey, I got a new false gospel. You want to try it? It doesn't usually start that way. It starts with some truth and then, and then just some, some subtleties mingled in. Whether it's adding to it or taking from it, God gives warning of that towards the end. But you'll hear things like, well, you know, Jesus was a good man, good teacher, miracle worker, right? He's a, a, and then this stuff, I've seen this mixed in recently. You know, he was really a freedom fighter. You know, he was really, I mean, he was the original protester. And you go, I don't doubt that Jesus was countercultural. <laughs> but I don't know about that. I'm just going to go ahead and stick to what it says here. Some of the other things that will happen as these kind of false gospels make their way is that there's always something new. Something that hadn't been heard before. Some new divine revelation. Be careful with that. I could imagine after Paul left town, he was here for 18 months in Corinth. After he left town, the new slick preacher came in and he goes, oh, I got, well, you know, Paul didn't say this, but there's this also, you know. You know, there's more. And, and it's new. And, I, and again, I've heard people go, hey, what do you think about this? I, someone preached this this way. I've, and and some, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, there's a reason you hadn't thought of it that way. No one's ever said that. And what's that old phrase, right? If, if it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. The truth's been around, guys. And we got to stick right here with the scriptures. 
Sometimes with the other stuff, there's like, you know, there's stuff that goes with it. There, there's, you know, those old phrases, there's that, that song and dance that goes with it. There's that dog and pony show. Something to always keep you, you know, a- engaged. And, and yeah, this is a cool hip deal. That's scary. I'll tell you, that scares me. When I see the, the hip stuff with churches, what have we always been told? What you catch them with, you got to keep them with. But let me tell you what starts to happen over years of watering down the word of God, of giving new stuff, of giving more entertainment, what begins to happen is a church becomes anemic. When you stop eating this regularly, you become anemic. And then, you know what you'll do? You'll eat anything when you're anemic, won't you? What, when you're starving, when you're really hungry for the word, you'll eat just about anything. And that's where these things slide in. Jim Cimbala, back in 2014, wrote a book called The Storm. And he says uh, in the book, there's a storm brewing in America. And he says, and the problem is that even though we say, you can Google it, that, that between 50 to 75% of the country is Christian, he says, I don't think that's the case. He goes, because when you do a little more digging and you look deeper into studies of people who believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, they trust in Christ alone for salvation, and they believe that God's word is the final authority for faith and practice, you'll see that that number is more like 7 to 9%. That 7 to 9 people in 100 actually believe in the authority of Scripture, actually believe in a virgin birth, actually believe that the stuff written in Genesis actually happened. So it's no wonder. Right? It's no wonder that if we're anemic long enough, we'll jump on to this other stuff when the culture says, you know how the church should behave? And, And the church goes, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, with those kind of threats, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll take a step that direction. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody, right? We're, we're still not saying we can't read the red words, right? Okay, all right, yeah. Then the stuff in Leviticus, yeah, we can let go of that a little bit. No way, not a, not a chance. The Bible says in the volume of the book, it's written of me. It's the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. Because you start pulling out pieces, what happens is the thing falls Again, the world will tell us and these false prophets will tell us what the church should be doing. Uh, I'd suggest read 1 Timothy when Paul writes to a young pastor and says, this is what the church needs to be doing. And I think it's six times in the book of 1 Timothy he uses the word doctrine. That's what the church is there to do is to teach doctrine. It's okay that the church does some of the other things it does. It's not up to us to, 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 to save social causes. It's not up to us to feed the poor. Christians do that, right? If you're taught what the Bible says, we will love our neighbor personally. But, but we learn who God is and what God's about when we come into this, into this room. And we go out and we live it as Christians. Damien Kyle says that to the degree that a church becomes man-centered, it's to that same degree that they stop being God-centered. And isn't that the truth? That the more we go towards these extra-biblical things or less-than-biblical things, it's easy to then get pushed by the culture wherever they say we should go. And it's dangerous. We're supposed to just stand 
I get it. I think we're looking further and further like the culture, like we don't look like it anymore when we're going to stand. And there's names that get tossed out and there's, oh, you guys are old-fashioned, you guys are bigots, you guys are this, that, and the other. We're just Christians. That the culture keeps going away. I, I can't go with them. We can't go with them when the culture says that we should do certain things. So we need to be very careful. And, and here, again, warning the church, and you hear that, that heart of the Father that's just going, I beg you, please, don't do this. Don't do, you're not going to like where this ends up. Verses 5 through 15. He says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I'm not in knowledge, But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off uh, the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Verse 13, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, in those verses, Paul is going to get to a point, and there is some sarcasm here. He says, for I consider, verse 5, myself, for I consider that I myself, I'm not inferior to these most eminent apostles, these super apostles, these guys who have come in and and they've begun to tell you how much better they are than me. He goes, look, even though I'm untrained in speech, and Paul was not untrained in speech. Paul was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He knew, and, and church history would tell us you know, we don't know 100%, uh, but that those who taught him, their biggest problems were that they didn't have enough books for him. The guy knew what was going on. He, the guy was a brain. Now, church history tells us he might have been a little ugly, <laughs> a little bald, right? A little hunched over. Might have had some weirdness in his eyes going on, little little drippy eyes stuff. So he didn't exactly look like a wonderful guy. You didn't want him up front talking, <laughs> He didn't look the part. And he wasn't like the Greeks, this great orator. And so he goes, look, I'll give it to you. I'm not trained in speech. I don't give the the wonderful uh, speeches. He goes, but I'm not untrained in knowledge. And and I I think he's remembering. He's like, I, I was there, that verse we looked at at the beginning. I didn't come in excellency of speech but by the Spirit of God of power. He's like, you guys saw what I was about when I was there. There's a story 
about a dinner party where the guests were expected to stand after the meal and recite something to the group. And a famous actor was present. He recited the 23rd Psalm with great dramatic flair and emotion, sat down to great applause. Then a very simple man got up and he began to recite the same psalm. He wasn't very eloquent, so at first people thought it was funny. His presentation was straight from the heart. So when he finished, the group sat in respectful silence. It was obvious that the simple man's presentation was more powerful than the actor's. And afterward, the actor told him, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. That there's a lot, there's a, there's a desire for the, the flair of the dramatic. I, I, I will tell you, one of the things I love about our family of churches is just the simplicity that's here. I, I remember listening to, to guys like Chuck Smith early on. And, and what did he always say? I, just simply teach the Bible simply. And I'm grateful for a guy like Chuck Smith because he, he taught real slow and deliberate and maybe a time or two you'd fall asleep. <laughs> he wasn't this flashy guy and this stuff because, and, and, and a, a whole generation after goes, if that's what it means to teach the Bible, I could do that. If all it means is opening the Bible and doing our best to just let it speak for itself, I don't have to add anything to it. I don't need to be this super whiz, bang, whatever. And I'll tell you, man, that's what I love about who we are. We're just simple people. We don't have to... I gotta be careful, man. I don't wanna speak ill. But again, I'll just say, we do our best to not go towards man-centered stuff. And I'll tell you, man, again, if you're on social media, some, some, some of these followings um, for so little substance, but, but the personality's great. The, the social media presence, the media, amazing. The emotions that are pulled, it's dangerous. Because when you get to the substance of it, you boil it all down, you reduce it and you go, there's not a whole lot of the word there. Every sermon's a man-centered sermon. They're, they're TED Talks with a little bit of Bible verses. That's not enough. And so he goes, yeah, I, maybe the speeches weren't really good for you guys. He says, I might be untrained in speech, but I'm not in knowledge. And then Paul says, look, did I, did I commit sin? Verse 7, in humbling myself that, that you might be exalted. Was it, was it bad that I preached the gospel to you free of charge? You, you see, when these super apostles came into town and they go, Paul, Paul never asked us for money. And they go, well, that's because he wasn't a real apostle. He knew he couldn't charge you. It, it, was, it, was, it was like that, that they go, well, yeah, you're going to pay us. Look what we're giving you, you know? You got all this oratory here, you know? We got a good thing going. Of course they're going to pay. And I'll tell you, that's one of the signs to me of the false guys. They don't stick around if there's no paycheck coming in. I get so frustrated. You, I, I just, you know, you click through the channel sometimes. You see that nonsense on some of the TV. I'm not saying they're all bad, but I'm saying a lot of them are. Uh, 
You know, just sow a seed of faith. Just sow a seed of faith and send us some money and God will multiply it for you. If that was true, shouldn't you be calling me and sending me money? So God can multiply it for you, for your ministry? Get out of here. This is silliness. You, you got some of this stuff that it's so out loud. But again, you have anemic believers. That, okay. And the guys here in Corinth, that they, they heard what Paul said. Yes, yes, but we want more. We want something bigger. Again, Corinth, they were a, a thinking town, man. And they were just going, we, we, it, it can't be this simple. And Paul goes, look, I robbed other churches in comparison. I didn't, I didn't charge you a dime for what I was doing. I was there 18 months, and, and the church in Philippi sent money to take care of my needs. And I wasn't even teaching them at that time. They, they, so in comparison, I robbed those guys so I could minister to you. you know, forgive me, right? And he goes, he goes, and so about all this stuff, he goes, I'll, I'll be able to boast in all the regions of Achaia. That's that, that southern region there where Corinth was. And he goes, why? Because I don't love you? He goes, God knows. Come on. Again, it's like that correction from a dad. Do you, do you think I say this because I don't love you? How many parents have told their kids that? God knows I love you. That's why I'm correcting you. And I love that. I'll tell you. I read this recently. And it said something along the lines of, of we've forgotten that one of the greatest forms of love is rebuke. Right? Anymore, we, man, don't, don't say anything correcting anymore. Paul loved these people enough to say, hey, sit down, we got to talk. This isn't, this isn't going to work. I don't like this. It doesn't go this way. And so he says again, so I'll continue to do what I do towards you free of charge. I'm not going to give anybody opportunity to boast in that. And he says, because these guys are the false apostles. These super apostles, what they are is false apostles. And they're deceitful workers, right? They work in trickery. They transform themselves, verse 13, into apostles of Christ. And he says, and no wonder doesn't Satan do the same. Right, Satan isn't running around with a little pitchfork in the, in the horns. No, 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 he, he looks like something special. And he goes, so it's not a great thing that his ministers, his servants, that's what minister means, right? That word minister is a servant, comes from the word diakonos. It's just a lowly servant. He says, those servants of the devil transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And so the things they say, you know what? They sound good. They sound good. You're right. We should do a little more with the culture saying. We should go that way. We should do these things. And he says, man, their end will be according to their works. That's big, huh? He goes, they'll get it. They'll get what they deserve. I do like that Paul here, and I, I do like this because there is something in me uh, with the young adults we're studying through 2 Samuel and uh, there's that part where David's leaving town when Absalom's trying to take the kingdom and uh, that guy Shimei starts throwing rocks, you know, and he's cursing David and Abishai comes to David. He's like David's right hand. He goes, can I take his head off, please? I've got this sword. I know how to use it. Um, can I just, and David goes, no, God will deal with him. We got to be very careful, right? In Romans chapter 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That comes from the Old Testament. <laughs> we can trust God. And, 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 and all Paul says here is their end will be according to their works. 
he doesn't need to go and fight the false apostles. He doesn't need, he just goes, look, let God be true and every man a liar. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's gonna reap. It's gonna be fine. They'll, they'll get what they'll get in the end. And, and I have to be careful because I have a lot of that Abishai in me sometimes that I wanna take that sword out. I wanna cut people's heads off. I wanna just, oh man, you know, and it's, okay. it's a righteous you know, thing until the point where I want to start acting on it and then we need to be careful. There's this, there's this fine line that we stay on. Now we could pray, we could pray whatever it is that the Lord puts in our heart to pray for those situations, but, but we got to be careful to just let the Lord work it, to let the Lord deal with it. Okay, verse 16, he says, and we got to speed up, we got just a few minutes. He says, uh, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may boast a little what I speak. I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly, not, uh, or excuse me, in this confidence of boasting, seeing uh, that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face, to your shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Quickly, in those verses, Paul is being, I'd say, a little extremely sarcastic here. He goes, do not think me a fool. Okay, and if you do think me a fool, at least receive me as a fool so I can boast a little because that's what those fools are doing. They're boasting, okay, let me boast a little. You put up with them, put up with me. Now, verse 17 is a weird verse because you might think that Paul is drifting from being led by the Spirit to write what he's writing. We know that's not true. Paul tells us later, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So when he says, because there's kind of two schools of thought on that, when he says, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly. So it's like, wait, so should we not read what he's saying right now? Is he drifting from inspiration here? Some people think that he is. I don't think that. We don't think that. It's that it's not in line usually with the way Jesus would do something. We know that Jesus didn't defend himself. He didn't, he didn't, you know, obviously he took the accusations, went on the cross, you know. In Philippians where it says, you know, that Jesus, though he was equal to God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but, but he humbled himself. So he said, look, this might not be in line with the way things always go as far as us defending ourselves, but I am going to say something real quickly is what Paul's saying here. He's saying these guys boast in the flesh and he goes, and you put up with it because you're so wise, you know. There's that dad moment again. And here's this thing in verse 20. He says, for you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if they devour you, if they take from you, if they exalt themselves, if they strike you on the face. It got to that point. The old rabbis would do that at times with their guys. They'd smack them in the face a little bit. And he goes, you're letting these guys do this? What, what did I tell you about all this stuff? It's nonsense. But you want to be put into bondage? And so much of what we see in these verses, again, read Galatians. It was, it was written just a few years before this was. And he says, you know, again, just a couple places in Galatians, if you're a note taker. Galatians 2 verse 4. Galatians 4 verse 3. Galatians 4 verse 9. Galatians 5 verse 1. That he says, you're, you're allowing yourself to be put into bondage to these extra biblical things. Be careful. 
be careful not to be put into bondage. And I think of, of uh, Galatians, I think it's one, yeah, verse six, where he goes, I marvel that you're turning so quickly. I marvel that you think there's something else. Guys, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he says, okay, you, okay we're going to boast. Okay, we're going to boast. Okay, here goes. You ready? And, and in verses 22 through 28, we, through 29, uh, maybe 30, uh, we see, I mean, really, kind of, to me, it, it ends a little more in 27, but 28 and 29 go with it. We see some of the strongest boasting from the Apostle Paul. All of it true. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Early on, they would say, well, we tra-, you know, these super apostles, these, these uh, Judaizers, the, these Pharisees would come and say, hey, look, man, we're of the right stock, so you've got to listen to what we say. We have the right family lineage. You listen to what we have to say. And they would put these trips on people. Paul goes, look, I'm just as Hebrew. I'm just as Israelite. I'm just as much from Abraham. I got just as much authority as they think they have. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Oh, I love this. He goes, I'll speak as a fool. I am more. What shows that I am a servant of Christ? And I think that's the problem Paul has with this. Not that they were using the term minister or that they were these things. He goes, but, and you see it, you see it. Sometimes people, uh, when they become minister, you know, uh, capital M ministers, you know, it's like this badge of whatever, you know. Oh, you arrive when you become the pastor. Nonsense. Don't get me wrong. It's a position God makes in the church. But I'll tell you right now. He appoints, and we just as soon let someone else when he appoints them. Because all we are is servants. That's what minister means. To... to <laughs> Again, even pastor, we've turned that word into this like, whoa, it's a shepherd. That's all a pastor is. I don't know about you, but I ain't trying to be like no shepherds, right? That's not the American dream. You really want to achieve, man? Go take care of sheep all day. No, thank you, right? It's not this prestigious thing, but that's what the super apostles made it into. And Paul's going, look, I'll show you what a minister of Christ looks like. Are they ministers? He goes, I am more. He says, in labor, more abundant. In a strife. See, see, just in the work, he goes, I do more work with them, but I also suffer. I suffer. Being a Christian in this day that this is written was not an easy task, and to be a leader in the church was even worse. That, that most times it carried with it sure persecution. And these guys had gotten to a point that, that, that they're like, no, 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 Paul, Paul doesn't know. Just keep the checks coming, you know, and everything was so surface level, whatever, you know. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. You knew this from the time you heard about Jesus. Your, your, spirit, your spirit bears witness to this, that there's suffering that, that accompanies godliness. And so he says, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times 
I received 40 stripes minus one. He was beaten five times from the Jews. He says, three times I was beaten uh, with rods. That would be from the Greeks. Once I was stoned. If you remember Acts 14 there in Lystra, when they throw rocks at him and they drag him out of the city, he says, three times I've been shipwrecked. And all this is being written in about Acts 19. <laughs> There's still stuff he hadn't even been through yet. But, but he's like, I've, he's already been shipwrecked. A night and a day he's spent in the deep. He says, in journeys often, in perils of the water, right? Being on a ship all the time, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in peril in the city and in the wilderness, perils at sea, perils amongst the false brethren. Everywhere Paul went, people chased him and told the, the crowds what he was saying was wrong. He says, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger, in thirst, in fasting, often, in cold and nakedness. Paul had been through all those things. There were times that Paul was serving God so hard, he didn't have a chance to eat. Not like, I'm so busy, I can't eat. There was just no food. It would have been really easy to pull that ejection cord and go, you know what? I don't want to live like this anymore. Paul could have ended this real quick. Just stop serving the Lord and he can go back to his Pharisee life and it was a nice life. But he continued to go times uh, hungry and even naked. I wonder if that's why in Timothy, when he tells Timothy what we should be content with, he says, and with food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But even times he didn't have that. All of that, and in verse 28, he says, besides the other things, what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Because my fear, he goes, I already wrote to the Galatians that they were being ripped off. Now I'm writing to you that you're being ripped off. And my fear is that all of this is in vain. That I've taught so hard, I've given my life, I've gone through all that I've gone through to try to teach you who Jesus is so that you wouldn't deviate from that, so that we'll all see each other in heaven one day and that's all my desire. He goes, and every day I worry about it. And I pray for you guys. He goes, so who's, not, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? That righteous indignation that when he sees those guys stumble and he just goes, God, oh, Lord, please. So verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. Maybe the Corinthians would have read this and go, oh, come on, it's not all that. He goes, as God is my witness, this is what I've done for him and for you. This is how I've sacrificed. This is how I've laid my life down. And then he tells a story. Some, some commentators think he's lightening the mood a little bit. Uh, some just think he's re recounting one of the first things he went through uh, as, as an apostle. He says, in Damascus, the governor under uh, Eratos, the king, was guarding the city of the, uh, uh, you know, those guys uh, with a garrison uh, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and I escaped from their hands. He goes, look, this ain't no new thing. It's Jesus, guys. It's the gospel. I, I think now more than ever, and I think we're seeing it. I, um, Thomas shared something with me the other day. Um, just about what happens in other countries and 
and what the persecution looks like there. And, it, and it's just like, you know, we're not saying you can't be Christians. We're just saying you can't be those kind of Christians. Just take down the crosses. Just take down, put up pictures of government stuff. Just, just. And it's, it's what we see there in, in Revelation chapter three, is it two, two or three? I think it's three. It might be two. It's two or three. But we see with the church of Smyrna that they'd go, just a pinch of incense on the altar. You could be a Christian. Just, just say that Caesar's Lord. Just a little, it's okay. You don't have to believe it. Just do what we say a little bit. I don't think so. Let's not drift, guys, from the simplicity that's in the gospel, that it's Jesus Christ and it's him crucified and that's the way to heaven. And if anyone wants to tell us there's more to that, then we could tell them they're wrong. (laughs) And we have the apostles who taught us that, who lived it. We have the inherent word of God that, that reinforces that in our laps. Let's live for Jesus. Let's not get swept away into any type of bondage of what the world would tell us we should be doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's so powerful. It's so powerful to tell us, Lord, what we should be about. And Lord, we do pray for ourselves today. Lord, we want to stand in the evil day. Lord, we don't want to exaggerate. We don't want to think things are worse than they are. But Lord, I, I, I just... Lord, we don't want to go where the culture tells us to go. We don't want to drift away from the simplicity that's in you, Jesus. We thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you rose again. We thank you, Lord, that that you rose for our hope and justification. And we thank you that that, that alone is what saves us. Nothing more, nothing less. So, Lord, I pray for your people today that you'd help us to stand for you, to stand strong, to keep following you, We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.